The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. Taping this on a Wednesday here. Sunny, cold, Southern California. On the line, Chris Rock. New movie coming out called Top 5. He has done... I, I think you've done a record amount of, of smart press. I like your PR choices that you've done. Is this is this the most press you've ever done for a movie? Uh, I think so. You know, every time you do a movie, it, it's like the press just gets bigger in a sense. There's just more stuff to do. Right. So I kind of do whatever there. Well, my feeling, yeah. just from, from watching from afar, it seems like you really love the movie. And you want as many people to know about it as possible. But I like, like you've done, you did that, uh, the New York magazine interview that, uh, that was great and got a lot of play. You did the car wash in Bristol. You did a Reddit AMA. Um, I, I like how you've strategically picked these different little pockets, but the New York magazine was the one, um, that just got a ton of play. It was really, really interesting. How long did that interview take? I have, um, I don't know couple of hours or whatever. I mean, here's the, the crazy thing. I almost can't tell you the difference in any of the interviews. Really? I can kind of remember Frank Rich because he's a nice guy, but all the rest of it kind of blends together. Right. Right. The car. I bet the Bristol car wash didn't so, blend in together. I don't know. I probably, you know, I probably was doing press six to eight hours a day for the last three weeks. And, you know, I can't, I have no idea. Um, in that interview, you talked about how um, you were a little concerned about where comedy is going because for a couple of different reasons, one, people are just a little more touchy just in general, which is, which is scary for comedians because, you know, your job is to push the line a little bit and you can't push the line without, inadvertently stumbling over it a couple of times. That's one problem. Then the other problem is stand-up comedians, they go to clubs to test out material. They're testing out those lines. They're testing out joke that works. And now people are, are taping that stuff. I got the sense that you were concerned about just the future of comedy. Is that fair? Um, comedy's going to be here. I'm just, I'm concerned what am I concerned about? I don't know. I think I'm just concerned. Are famous guys going to, you know, continue to do stand up? I mean, guys that aren't famous are going to keep doing it, but, um, you know, guys that are more likely to be filmed are going to, you know, kind of not say anything, you know? So that's kind of a concern. Well, I, I, everybody I know is scared to get on stage. Because of the risk you know, really, uh, Because of the... Scared that they'll be taken out of context. Right. It's the risk-reward factor. Which, And then you have somebody like Louis C.K. who wants to put out a, a new show every year. And it just seems like, you know, it's almost like because he's doing so much comedy... When he does push the line, sometimes it doesn't seem a big deal. I thought it was interesting when you did the SNL, um, the mo the monologue, and it was clear that you were venturing a couple, you know, slightly hairy, ter slightly hairy territory. 
you could kind of feel the audience clench. Even on TV, all of a sudden people got real nervous for a minute, like, uh-oh, where's it going? I mean, can you feel that as you're doing it? Uh, I mean, I could feel it a little bit, a little bit. But, you know, it's the topic. It's the place, too. I mean, it's SNL. So you're, you're doing a TV show. you got a lot of industry people there. You know, it's it's not, like, indicative of, like, a club audience or anything like that. Right. So people get a little scary, but um, that's good. It makes the release that much better, you know. When you, plus, when you know, when you finally you, do get to the joke, it makes it feel uh, so much better. And you you had an audience full of Prince fans, which who probably probably comedic wildcards as you're doing that stuff. Yeah, um, I had a lot of Prince fans, and yeah, it was a weird. It was a weird night, but uh, yeah, it worked out, and it worked. You know, worked on dress and air. It wasn't one of those things that died in dress, and we got right in air. It worked both times. Have you have you given a thought to coming out another special? I can't remember how many you've done. It they had either three or four, but uh, a couple of them became iconic. Obviously, have you like is is that on your radar after this movie, or you don't know what you're doing? Um, I don't know. You know, I I, I got to check with my kids. You know, it's so hard to t- you know. It's not even about doing a special. It's like doing a tour, right? So, so I don't know. I'm I'm not sure yet. I got to see what my kids want to do. How old are your kids? They want to hang out. Hmm. How old are your kids? My my oldest is twelve. I got a twelve and a ten. Uh oh. You know. So um. You know, they're only young once. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I would like to. I'm not adverse to it, but, um, yeah. And, that, and you got to ask yourself the question, do you even need to do a special? In the era of everybody, nobody watches an hour of stand-up. Everybody cuts your stuff into 10-minute hunks and watches it on YouTube. So, that's interesting. I don't, I don't you could release a series of seven-minute comedy specials. Yeah, I don't even know. Is is an hour, you know, an hour and 20 minutes even what it was before? I don't know. So you have a you have a 12-year-old girl and a 10-year-old girl. I have a nine-and-a-half-year-old yeah. girl. Everybody has been telling me, oh, enjoy these next two years. It's going to change. You wait. Wait until they yeah. turn 12. Is that true? Um, so far they still want to hang around me. So, but I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, I'm anticipating the, the older one hating me any day now. And, you know, then I'll go to work. Then I'll take a job. The, uh, the, Larry, I had Larry David on the podcast last week and he said he had 18, an 18 year old and a 20 year old. Then he asked how old my kids were. And I said, I had nine after a girl and he just started laughing. He's like, Oh, you just wait just seems to be the consensus. I don't know. I don't know what I'm waiting for, but I'm nervous. I feel like I'm walking down this. Hill. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to hate you for like three years or something. That's yeah. It's kind of hard hearing. to fathom. My kids love me. I can't imagine them turning on me, but it's I guess it's going to happen. Fathom, but you know, it can happen. You, you haven't done, have you put your kids that much in your standup? Like you, it seems like you've avoided that whole. A little bit. I did this whole thing when Lola was born about, keeping my daughter off the pole. That was a, <laughs> right. <laughs> that was pretty much as far as it went. 
Right. It's, you know, my, my responsibility in life is to keep my daughter off the pole. And, and nice, after you edgy after, joke about the birth of my child. Perfect. And after you, after you did that, I put, I put that joke in a column, but, but I assumed everybody knew the joke when I was talking about my responsibilities as dad, I was like, obviously my number one responsibility is to keep my daughter off the pole. And ESPN tried to, uh, they initially thought it should come out. And I was like, but that's the Chris Rock joke. Like everybody knows that joke. And, and we had to go back and put the, like put your name in the joke to somehow vet it. But it really is the number wow. one responsibility. It's the number one responsibility of any father. I think it kind of is, you know, it's right the <laughs> uh, so your movie comes out, I think Friday, right? Friday. Well, it's, it came out last week, or and it's, then it, it, it's expanding this it's, week to, it's, to a national expanding audience. Expanding the four hundred more theaters, right? Friday, yeah. Right. Uh, so, at some, so do you have to do the thing where you go abroad and start promoting it in like uh, China? Eventually, yeah, yeah, probably in January. Mm. Little UK, little Australia. Yeah. Is that fun or is that not fun? I feel like that would be fun. It's fun. It's all fun. Hey, it's all better than loading trucks at the Daily News or working at Burger King. Right. It's all fun. Where would no, you it's good. Where would you compare it to sitting through a Knicks game? No, I'd rather be at a Knicks game. Even a bad Knicks game than doing press, but, you know. Even... Even a bad nickname game? I mean, you know, not you know, maybe not Eddie Curry Knicks, but you know, <laughs> this, this team's not this team's not hard to this this team's not unlikable. They're just not really good. Yeah, they're not fun to watch. I feel bad for Carmelo. I mean, you know, he took the contract. I guess I shouldn't feel bad for him because he knew what he was getting into, but. You know, you only have, it's not like if you're an actor, you're a comedian, you have this, you know, you might have like a 30-year shelf life with your career. And if you're an NBA player, you have 12 to 14 years, something like that. And he's just now throwing away years. Yeah, he's throwing away years in his prime here. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're pretty, If they're smart, they should go for a top five pick. I don't really know what the end game playoffs. is for him. Well, not this year. Playoffs? Not Although, this year. The East is terrible. I'm kind. Of, I was part of me as a Celtic fan was hoping they'd be dumb enough to make some Godfather offer for Rajon Rondo to try to get into the playoffs, and then it wouldn't work out, and we'd get their pick or something. But um, it seems like they're smart enough to at least know they should throw away this year. But you've had a lot of those as a Knicks fan, where they throw away the year, telling you that something good's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. You know, it's uh, it's been an interesting. What, have we been good twice in the last 20 years, something like that? Yeah, it's pretty much. It's been something. You made, you made the 99 finals. The, this century has not been good for the Knicks. There's really no. been the, the 2012 Knicks team with, uh, that went to the second round, I guess, would have been the highlight from the last 10 years. But um, there was that, that one Knicks, that, that year, it was, it was fun to watch the Knicks for a couple months when everybody was making threes, when Jason Kidd was there, and Rasheed Wallace was there somehow, yeah, and all those it, people. Yeah, they beat Miami a couple of times. It was, yeah. it was like, wow, maybe they can do it. Did you, did you take it personally when LeBron decided to go to Miami instead of New York? No, I, I, dude, I, I wish somebody had the film. I said it 
so many times on film. I said it on SportsCenter. I said it. I remember being interviewed at a game, whatever national game, and somebody, whatever, I'm at a Laker game or something, and they asked me about LeBron. And I'm like, they should trade him. He's going to Miami. And everybody laughed. Ha, ha, ha. I don't understand how no one knew he was going to Miami. It was it was out there, but you like you like legitimately had info that he was going there. No, I mean, he's they have the same amount of money. He's a young guy. People move from Cleveland to Miami every day. They don't move from Cleveland to New York every day. I mean, some do, but mm. why would he not go to Miami? It, it's a tough one. I remember writing about it at the time. It's, I mean, they got the weather. They're always in when if it's if it's close, Miami's always going to win. Just it's South Beach. So you're a, a warm young, weather unmarried guy. You're a warm weather advocate for NBA decisions. I I, I mean, it's not just a warm weather to... guy. It's a warm weather for a guy who spent his whole life living in Akron, Ohio. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So well, you really th- thought he was going to move to New York? You just described why the Celtics never get free agents. People, well, yeah, people why would why would any why? We usually get people like Xavier McDaniel at the tail end of his career. People like that suddenly. Yeah. They, it, it, yeah. People want money. Yeah, I don't. People want money. The one thing about the weather thing is that it does seem at least part of that back in the day was you go to a big market, it's better for your brand. And nowadays, yeah. nowadays I don't, I, it seems like it doesn't matter what city you're in, like playing in Oklahoma city. I'm not sure that hurt Kevin Durant's brand. You know, I feel like he's just as famous there as he'd be anywhere. It's, the whole country's pretty much the same. Right. We're, you know, we got monopolies and there's big malls everywhere and everybody's got a, Starbucks and everybody's got a sunglass hut and there's a Victoria's Secret and you know every town's the same. I guess you get a little Broadway on in New York, but you know what, what's the? There's no hardship living anywhere in America, honestly. I think the one difference would be. Oh God. Kevin Durant's more famous than Carmelo Anthony. He yeah. just is. I think the one difference playing in LA and I think South beach too, just cause of how that city city rolls. There are certain cities where it's easier to be famous. I think, like, I don't think it's easy for Kevin Durant to be famous in Oklahoma city. Anywhere he goes, he's going to be gawked at, but in LA you kind of blend in. Like there's so many famous people here, you know, it's, it's, you have a certain level of anonymity you can get away with. I think New York's like that to some degree. And I think South beach is too, but, um, I do think a that matters. Bit, but if you're over six four, you're a freak of nature, and you're going to get stared at everywhere you walk. This is true. You just are. Yeah, we. You never. You're never going to be alone. You're a freak. Yeah, to be in six nine. No matter where you're at. Yeah, at the Espy's party. There was like an after after Espy's party that Drake threw, and there were some NBA players there, and it's just there's. 
no way for them not to stand out. I actually had a theory. I th- when they go out with their buddies, I think their buddies should wear like seven inch lifts like Tom Cruise does so that they're actually like the same height as the NBA yeah, player. I mean, that I remember did. seeing Shaq with a hat and shades on one someplace. And I was like, what? Really? Stop it. It's okay. Like, like we don't know it's you. When you, when your career took off in the nineties, it was Jordan's league and the NBA players were just starting to become these global superstars. I think the dream team in 92, stuff like that. Um, what kind of relationships have you had with NBA players over the years? Is there anybody, any NBA player you would call a friend? Who would I call a friend? Let's see. Uh, you know, Isaiah a little bit. We're cool. Barkley is cool. I, I remember playing. I remember doing a show in Charlotte, North Carolina, and hanging out with Del Curry and basically playing basketball with uh, Stephen Curry when he was seven, and he could oh, hit wow. a three. Wow. He could hit, he could hit a three, then. Now, As like, like Del Curry's like, watch this. Like the ball was bigger than his head, and he was hitting threes. I wonder if those I, are my guys. I wonder if Ron Stephen Curry Harper. remembers that. Huh? I wonder if Stephen Curry even remembers that. I probably no. He doesn't remember that. He's a kid, but he, he, might, was, he, could, he might remember it. He could hit a three at seven consistently. Amazing. You got him. A lot of people from the uh, under 25 generation don't remember this or don't know about it, but you were prominently involved in the mid nineties in NBA history with the little penny campaign. And I was too. And that, that's one of the lost great superstars in my opinion. And I, I, I like I watching Derek, a couple of days ago. Yeah. Watching Derek Rose now just makes me nervous. Like, you just never know. You get one injury, you get two injuries, and all of a sudden you're not the you're not the guy that you were supposed to be, and your career's over. Like if you told me in 1995 that Penny wasn't going to be one of the best 30 players ever, I would I would have assumed you got hit by a car or something. But he was incredible hey. at his peak. He yeah. was incredible, but he also played with Shaq. And mm. history shows us people that play with Shaq put up better numbers than people that don't play with Shaq. Yeah. You know? He so, he was the prototype of this new kind of guard that I didn't I didn't it just didn't exist. That this six seven, six eight type guy who can handle the ball and play three positions and um No, he was amazing. He was he was yeah. He was almost Magic Johnson, he was a little you know he was a little magic, a little Jalen Rose, a little Little Durant, little, you know, he was an amazing player. We're working on an oral history right now, Grantland, of uh, of that Shaq Penny magic era, which all of a sudden was just over. Like, they made the finals in 95, and then a year later, all of a sudden Shaq was going to L.A. It was, it was pretty abrupt. I feel like um, it, it kind of was the prototype for how these guys jump teams now. But um, when you... When you got involved with that little penny campaign, like walk me through that. What what happens? Nike reaches out for you to you, and then what? Nike reaches out. A guy named uh, Stacy Wall, who's kind of a big deal at uh, I, I forget the av- 
advertising firm, Byron Kennedy or something. Yeah. Anyway, so me and Stacy are young guys coming up. And, you know, hey, we got this tall, Kenny. And it kind of said, do whatever you want to do. It wasn't, you know, they would just record me and get a lot of wild lines. And I would watch the commercials not knowing what I was going to see, to tell you the truth. Really? Just, yeah, so they, think, you would just ad lib, they would take it? I would ad lib, I would ad lib, and, you know, Stacy would direct me here and there. And, um,. I'd see the commercial and be like, can you do that, Paul, brother? Like, okay, I guess I said that. Right. But a lot of that stuff wasn't in the script. You, um... They, 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 they hit. You said, uh, you talked about, in one of those interviews you did, you talked about when, uh, after you left In Living Color, and you, you wanted to really devote yourself to stand-up, and you just, you just spent like a year just going to stand up and absorbing it and trying to learn tricks and all that stuff. Do you think, I, I feel like that's kind of a lost art of when somebody wants to get good at something to actually put in the blood, sweat and tears like that before they even try to be good at it. Do you feel like the way society's going now, everybody's, everybody's just instantly good at something or they can have an instant voice or they can go on Twitter and instantly get followers, things like that. Do you think people even do that anymore? Do people work at it? People work at it. It's just no one work isn't as popular as want. Put it that way. Yeah. In the in the era of reality, you know, whenever you're watching one of these shows, I've wanted to sing my whole life. It's not like I've been working at singing my whole life. I wanted this. I want. I want. I want this big. I work. No. People people don't like work. You know, no. people come up to me a lot of times, hey, how'd you get into acting? No, I didn't go to acting school, but I like to say I went to acting school just so I can see people's face glaze over. Like, when you're not mentioning a shortcut. So, yeah. yeah, I went to acting school, and you see them, just all the air come out of people. Like, oh, no, don't tell me I have to work. Right. Please don't tell me to have to work on it to get there. Well, you went, you kind of did go to your own school. You went to uh, the a few years after Eddie Murphy's school. And Eddie, Eddie kind of, see, I love that you love Eddie. Eddie's, Eddie was one of my guys growing up. And Eddie's it's funny, one of like, the greatest. one of the greatest, I, th- I think. He's like Penny Hardaway. People don't know. Well, yeah, I mean. He's not injured, but. I mean, I, I would even say he's he's closer to the to the MJ pre baseball first three titles MJ of just like holy mackerel, yeah, what yeah. the hell is he, going he, on? You know what? I you're right. He's closer to MJ first three titles. Yeah, but so he's like he, greatest. I think he's, I I personally think he's the best SNL cast member ever. I think he's the only one who actually transcended the show. You know, he, I, I think. He's easily the best SNL cast member of all time. It's we did a bracket on Grantland to try to figure that out, and he did not win. And I knew he wasn't going to win who? because who won? Will Ferrell won, but Will Ferrell's really good. He's really good. He's. he's I, I knew he was going to win, but but the the reality is nobody under forty or man eh, eh, maybe thirty nine was there when uh, 
when Eddie was on that show and that show was doing nothing and, you know, he basically could have hosted the show every week and then goes out his first three movies. I'm not counting best defense. His first three movies are, are monster hits and he's Letterman's best guest and he's got multiple comedy specials and all of it happen, happens before he's 24. I, I don't think there's any parallel to, to Eddie's career at no. that point. So, it, so you're there still is no parallel to Eddie's career. Right. So you're a few years, what are you, like seven years younger than him, eight years younger? About seven years. Yeah, what am I? I'm about, I'm, Eddie's about 55, I'm 49, about six years. Right. So fair to say that he's your inspiration when you're deciding to do this? It's fair to say he's my inspiration. Black guy from Brooklyn, originally anyway. Yeah. Stand up. Yeah, absolutely. And at what point did... Well, let's, at what point did you meet him, and at what point did he take you under his wing a little bit? Um, I met him probably doing stand-up a year and a half, two years. I met him at the comic strip on a, on a uh, winter's night in, you know, whatever, December, February. And um, I guess I was under his wing right away. I could, you could say that. Um, right. it, like, I met him on a Saturday, and then... I was flying to LA with him on a Monday. Him and the, him and the you know, back when he rolled like Elvis, right. me and Eddie and fifteen guys, you know. Well, was he, up. Elvis was one of his big inspirations, and he used to be. Yeah, it was, he, very, he used it was to, very Elvis. He used to do a good Elvis impersonation, but it's funny because he actually kind of became Elvis a little bit. He was he was it just was always very out Elvis there. And he, the, like the suit he used to wear in Delirious, he would walk around with those kind of outfits on all the time. <laughs> and he had, where did he live? Bubble Hill? He had his own version of Graceland, basically? He had his own version of Graceland, not too far from where I live now. Right. And uh, actually, Alicia Keys is in there now. He sold it. Oh. But uh, yeah, that was a crazy time. And he's, and it's the 80s, and he's running around with Magic and Arsenio. And they're like the three most famous people as a, as a combination. Rick, Rick on the James planet. was around and, you know, run DMC. When you went to SNL, how much of that was Eddie inspired? Oh, none. I, that was when I finally got SNL, it was probably about six years later after I met Eddie. Yeah. And, uh, Eddie never worked for Lauren Michaels. But they oh, had yeah. no relationship. So, nope. There was you know, no, um, I actually just got it. I didn't mean, I didn't um, mean, it, I didn't mean Eddie calling it a favor. I meant because Eddie was on that show. Was that something like on your imaginary career checklist? You oh, felt yeah, that like was you wanted totally to... on my list. That yeah. was totally on my, like, my, oh my God, if I could just get on SNL. Even though I didn't realize at the time I wasn't really qualified for SNL in a sense. I didn't really do any characters or anything. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just SNL. This is where comedians, you know, Eddie Murphy does, you know, a hundred impressions. I do no impressions. You know what I mean? Right. I did a so, podcast. I did a podcast with Lauren in his office a couple weeks ago. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize he wasn't there for the entire Eddie reign. And he said he didn't even watch the shows because it was like too painful for him 
to watch SNL not being involved. And he claims he missed the whole Eddie era. And I was like, I, I'm not positive. I believe him. Like I find it hard to believe he didn't stumble across Eddie once or twice in that show, but he was pretty adamant. He didn't watch it. And I feel it seems hard to believe he didn't catch James Brown celebrity hot tub. Damn, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Or anything. Right. It's just like as somebody who loves comedy, I really find it hard to believe that you would intentionally avoid Eddie Murphy in 1981 really? or 1982. Buckwe- Buckwheat's been shot. Come on. Right. You gotta see Buckwheat's been shot. Right. John David Stutz. Uh, yeah, you got it. So when you were on SNL, that was probably the most loaded cast they had other than the original cast. Like just in terms of like, you look back and you go, Oh my God. Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, Jane Hooks, Dana Carvey, Chris Farley. I mean, it Chris just goes Farley, on and on. Is Dennis when, Miller? Yeah, it was crazy. What was the? What were it those? Was, yeah, it was right around the time when people were starting to use SNL as kind of the springboard to the next part of their career too. Was it? Would, could you feel that changing during the couple of years that you were there when people started to look at it like it's college, you graduate, and then this stuff happens? I always looked at it as college. I never, even when I got hired, I used to say to Spade, like, dude, this is great, but if this is it, we're like, right. Let's, you know, let's have fun. Let's work hard. But, you know, let's, uh, John Lovitz used to say, you got to always remember you have an office in Manhattan. Make use of it. That's a good So when you don't get on, work on your scripts. Have a meeting. Do do whatever, but think about your life outside the show. You have an office in Manhattan. Right. That's what he used to say. I liked what somewhere it was I, secretary. The, in the Reddit AMA, you were talking about how smart Sandler is, and you said uh, he was hired as a writer, and basically got on the show by writing for everybody else while also trying to write for himself, and nobody else was thinking that way. I thought that was. I'd never heard that he's point a, about him. He's a, he might be the smartest guy I know, honestly. The more I think about it, the more I think about it, the guy, yeah, he can write for anybody. That's an odd thing he can do. You know, whenever I'm working on a movie, that guy can come in, give me three jokes I wasn't thinking about for my character better than anything I thought of myself. He's got stuff for himself. He, you know, he knows structure. He's the hardest working guy you ever want to meet. You think you're working hard, and then you call him, and he's been up for eight hours working on it. So, yeah, I've I've done a 180 on Sandler because I have kids, and now I get what he's doing. He's he's making he's a hero to my children. And that, that's his wheelhouse, yeah. and that's what he's been doing for the last 10 years is making movies for this specific demographic that loves every scene in every one of those movies. Every one of those movies. My kids go, please, every one of them. Every one of them. You know, but, they go but, crazy. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't have kids. If you don't have kids, you're like, what's he doing? Why, why, can't, why can't he make Happy Gilmore too? And then you have kids, you're like, oh, I get it. Oh, oh yeah, kids are like my kids. Oh my God, Jack and Jill all day, blended all day. Please, I, no, no, I, no. Sailor, Sailor knows what he's doing. I have a big grown-ups okay. house, 
The Grown Ups 1 and 2. Grown Ups is, you big. know, Grown Ups is a big... It's the only movie my kids that I'm in will show to, you know, when they have sleepovers or whatever. Okay, we're going to watch Grown Ups. Like, whoa. <laughs> how, much del- how much deleted basketball footage is there from the Grown Ups 1 basketball game? Is there enough to do a 30 for oh 30 or no? There must be. I mean, everybody sucks except Sandler. That's first one. I mean, Spade's got a little game. Right. But the rest of us are just awful. You can tell from the editing. It's a lot of close-ups of people throwing passes or people shooting like a close-up of their face and then the ball going in the back. Another camera showing the ball going in the basket, stuff like that. But Sandler clearly is like, hey, look how good I am. I play all the time. great. Sandler plays every day. But, um... I'd love you to. Know, Pooh Richardson was on the set. Really? Yeah, yeah. Pooh Richardson was the, uh, the the resident uh, basketball expert. Why do you, what do you think happened? What's your theory for what happened with SNL during those last couple Sandler Farley years? Because you just look at it and you're like, man, that's that's about as talented of a cast as it gets, and yet at the same time, by the end of it, um. New York is doing the Saturday night dead cover and Sandler and Farley basically get fired right after the season. Like what the hell happened? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's what always happens. It, you know, it just runs out of steam a little bit. I don't, I don't think any, I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody should be there more than four years. Say you truth. I mean, people do it for 10 years or whatever, but I don't know, four or five, get in, get out. So you think you it know. should be it should be like high school, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade? You leave. It should be like high. It should really be like high school. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people should be there longer because they just have a skill set that's perfect for it. Right. But for everybody else, you so know, maybe get somebody gets a postgraduate exemption. Hey, um, yeah, I really liked your HBO talk show. And I don't mean to say that in the suck up sense. Like I really thought you were good at it and I really liked the show. And I was kind of deep down expected you to, to, to at some point take a real crack at a late night show. I know it's a lot of work and you have kids and you know, I know I'm friends with Kimmel obviously. So I know firsthand, like, you know, just what a grind that is day to day, week to week, just pumping out 220 shows or whatever it is. But at the same time, you would have been good at it. Did you ever have a real chance to do it? Um, I mean, I never really got offered it, to tell you the truth. I mean, I got, yeah, no, I mean, let's see. Did they offer, they had to offer me Letterman. They didn't offer me Fallon. I mean, I got some offers from really late, you know. Right, like 1230? Yeah, I don't think I'm too old to be on TV at 1230. Well, you're so overqualified. I, I, I didn't want to say that, but yeah. Well, I'm going to say it for you. Yeah, you're a little overqualified. I mean, 1997 Chris Rock, I think, would have been a 1230 candidate, but not not any, not any the Chris Rock from the last 10 years. Not to talk about you in the third yeah, person. So. so CBS never even talked to you about Letterman? Nah. I mean, what's your going to be great? Yeah. I'm not against the Colbert decision. It's just weird to me. Like Colbert's going to be fine. We have. I I don't totally understand the late night scene because no, they then they have the twelve thirty thing. No females 
considered for that either. We haven't had a female I, I host I or a black I don't host. believe Chelsea Handler didn't get a shot. It's strange. You know. It's been, it's been white males for 70 years in late night. I would have thought somebody would have tried to tip the apple cart at some point with something. Could you have done a late night show? Would you Would you have been able to handle that grind or would you have gotten bored by it? Um, I mean, 11.30 is a big difference than 12.30. I don't know. I mean, the Letterman thing would have been intriguing. Having your own theater, the big marquee. It seems like a decent life. Not too far from my house, you know. Right. It doesn't, doesn't seem like a bad life. But, um... You were also good at interviewing people. And so was Dennis like Miller, actually. People. I thought you and Dennis Miller on those HBO shows, You anytime you had a guest, it was just really fun. And I felt like you were hanging out with the guest versus reading questions off a cue card or off a blue card for them, you know? And and uh, I, I don't think those two shows, I, I wish there was a show like that now on cable that was once That's, a week. Yeah, when I came on the air, I was following Dennis, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you were. Um, yeah, just do it. so you can do a weekly show and eh, you don't want to. Nobody wants to do a weekly show. I mean, you can do a weekly show on cable. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, it seems and like you've hung it up. It, it, it's probably, that ship's probably sailed, you know? Hmm. So what happens next for you? What's in the plans? You even thinking about it? I don't know. I literally don't know. I've got this movie and hopefully it does well and you know. I'd like to do some stand-up, you know, time permitting. Um, but, you know, I just want to hang out with my kids, to tell you the truth. That sounds great. Somebody at Reddit I threw out a movie, there, Kevin Hart, Chris Rock comedy play. tour. Hmm. Uh, Plays on Reddit, are fun. On Reddit, somebody threw out a Chris Rock, Kevin Hart comedy tour. Oh, that'd that, be that fun. Was, that was intriguing. A tour with somebody would probably be fun. You know, Kevin's a fun guy. You know, what the about, road can be very, uh, it can be lonely out there. It can be what very about, isolating uh, out there. You're not in a band. So right. You're kind of by yourself. I have an idea. Why don't you do a 30 for 30 for us? A 30 for 30? Well, you know, that was weird. I was thinking about... Um, well, I was at ESPN the other day. Have they done the 30 for 30? You know what? They wanted me to do 30 for 30, and I pitched the the game that was fixed between the Lakers and Sacramento, and they said no. And, By the way, I'm, I'm part of they. You, you know why okay. we said no? Because uh, uh, you need footage for some of this stuff, and the NBA would, would probably blow up Bristol over letting us do a documentary about that. Right, so there was that one, and then I pitched, I think I pitched the Jason Williams murder one. I think I got a no on that one. <laughs> the chauffeur? The yeah, chauffeur yeah. that was mysteriously murdered in Jason Williams' bedroom? Yeah, come on, what's better than that? I, I'm with um, you. So you, then, what's the latest one I liked? By the way, you... Actually, you you're talking to somebody who wanted us to do 30 for 30 unsolved mysteries. And the first two were going to be Bison Daylay and Jason Williams chauffeur, but I got oh, voted Bison down on Daylay that. Bison is a great one too. Yeah. Bison Daylay is a great one too. Here's my thing. Uh, Who's not watching that? Crew? If that came on, you're watching. Yeah. Ray Carruth. I think, well, I think that was solved though. That was solved. 
Um, yeah. But I mean, anyone's watching Bison Daylight and trying to figure out what happened on that boat. Bison Daylight is a great one. Um, but so, I, think that, I think there's a good um, Lenny Dykstra one to be done. Oh. Good. Lenny Dykstra's a good 30 for 30. Well, we're ready for you. You did hair, and it was good. We know you. We know you have the passion for it. We always look for the people. You know, it's it's dicey because sometimes celebrities, when they want to do one, they just want to say they did one, but then that, like their buddy from college ends up doing it. And we like we like to work with the people that you know they actually care about what's going up and, and mm-hmm. putting the actual time in. Jason Williams, the murder. Good. I'm in. I, I need to get permission from one other person, but we're halfway there because my vote is yes. And actually, I need three Jason more votes. Williams so. is, Jason Williams and just all that happened in the app. Oh, it's crazy. You, you, you think it's weird that a bunch of guys were in somebody's bedroom as somebody was looking at a rifle and the chauffeur walked in and accidentally got his head shot off? Yeah, that was something's a little fishy there. A little strange. Yeah. Some weirdness going on. Strange that. All right, Chris Rock, top five. He's out of jail. Yeah, he's out of jail. They they had like seventeen hung juries for that one. Wow. Never. Yeah. Never. It. It. It just. I mean, the big loser in the whole thing was was. uh, There was Jay Williams, the Bulls guy, who got in the motorcycle accident and now works for ESPN. Um. There was Jason Williams, White Chocolate. And then Jason Williams, who basically became the chauffeur guy. So each wow. each Jay Williams had kind of their own identity. Wow. Yeah. Um, top five coming out nationwide this Friday. The, the reviews have been fantastic. I've yet to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, good luck with uh, good luck with your monstrosity of a press tour. Holy mackerel! I hope I hope you uh, oh, take yeah. a break at some point. Um. It was a pleasure, Someday. though. We didn't even talk. By the way, we didn't talk about Michael Ray Richardson, but maybe we'll save that for next time. Yeah, one time. We'll get we'll get to him on the next one. All right. Thanks, Chris. Rock. Like Take care. Good luck with the movie. Pearl Washington. There you go. All right. Oh, oh. By the way, that's another thirty for thirty. I was in Pearl. me and Pearl Washington were in the same homeroom class in Boys and Girls High. Yes. That's at least a short. Yeah, I I grew up with Pearl Washington. So Rock and Pearl. Pearl and Rock? Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's something there. All right, Chris Rock, good luck with everything. Thanks for coming up. All right, take care. Hey, before we go, we're going to call my dad. We're overdue. A lot of Boston sports stuff going on right now. The Pats, four wins away from going back to the scene of the crime, Glendale, Arizona. Uh, A lot of Red Sox stuff, and then Rondo trade, so we just wanted to get him on the phone, get his takes on anything. He's retired, so he's very available. He does not know we're calling, so let's call him. Dad. Hi, Bill. You're on the podcast. I'm on the podcast. You're on the podcast. You're feeling really good about the Patriots, and we had to call you. I'm feeling very good about the Patriots. It's a team that finally has a really uh, fascinating defense. Lots of terrific athletes. Um, For so long, we've talked about Brady carrying the team and hoping the defense keeps them in the game, but this is a very different kind of team, don't you think? Yeah, this is the this is the best I've felt about a Patriots team since 07. Since you were and, 7? No, 07. Oh, 07. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, yeah, I, would agree, the, I, yeah I would agree with you. That's one of the reasons I was calling you. Oh, I can't so talk pay- about Arizona. Well, no, no. Okay. But the Super Bowl is in Arizona. I know that. Believe me. And if, if the Patriots win four more games, they play the Super Bowl in Arizona. I've been I, there. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you and I should go together. I, I, I really wasn't even going to suggest that it was on my plate. I don't Although, think you, you should know, go. You get, when you get close to the Super Bowl game itself, and depending on do they play really well in the playoffs and da-da-da, maybe going to the Super Bowl becomes more of a exciting idea. But today, no. I've been saying for three months that I'm not going, but who am I kidding? I'm definitely going. Yeah, I, I can't I mean, imagine I've heard you in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm, I can't I'm, imagine you're, not, I'm you're going. not going. But yeah. Um, and, you know, as your dad gets older and he's not going to be around for too many more Super Bowls, who knows what will happen with me wanting to go. Well, I was thinking, you know, again, we have to win four more games. It was an awful games. memory. It, it's so hard it's to really erase horrible. that memory. For, for people who don't know, um, it was my dad's 60th birthday, and I took him to the Super Bowl in Arizona for the weekend as his present. And we had and an was, awesome weekend. And it was a great, great experience until, until the last yeah. two minutes. We never, it never occurred to either of us that they were going to lose the game. Never. Which I think angered the sports gods. I think everything that every Boston fan did and every, everything the Patriots did over the course of uh, about four months there just angered, starting with Spygate, just angered the sports gods and they decided to get their revenge in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, the Samuel interception catch happened right in front of us and right was now. thrown directly to him. And I still don't understand how he didn't catch it. And if I can close, if I close my eyes, I can see it going through his hands. Yeah. I somehow had that play and the Wes Welker Brady overthrowing him at the next Super Bowl right in front of me too. I had both of those right in front of me. I could still see those images visually. Yeah. And then the helmet catch, which, um, I, I don't know if that was the most unbelievable play I've ever seen in person, but it's in like the top four. It's, I think Bird stealing the ball was the most unbelievable, but it's in the top four. Um, just incredible to watch as it was happening. Like, oh my God, wait, he, he didn't catch that. There's no way he caught, he caught that. What? Uh, and then we knew we were going to lose. Well, when um, made the helmet catch, well, as he was as he was trying to make the helmet catch, and Harrison, I, I still don't to this day understand how. Harrison didn't knock it out of, knock it away, knock it out of his, knock it off his head. Uh, I don't either. Painful. I don't I mean, understand I, either. I'm sure if you're a fan across the country, you're listening to the two of us complain about something Boston like sports. this. Boston sports, yeah. You don't want to hear it. But, uh, you know, you and I have, have been to a lot of uh, games where we lost. Uh, many of them were Celtics. Certainly before 04, they were Red Sox games, particularly 03. But nothing will ever come close to that Glendale, Arizona Patriots loss. Do you feel the same way? Nah, I think I think game four of the 87 finals was, was is equal for me. Yeah, it's close, except we had just won in 86. No, no, no. We, it was eight. It was... Oh, 87, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You say it was close, but when we lost the Giants-Patriots game, we hustled out of our seats right away. 
We just well, because all the Giant fans were, were were rushing down to take part in the post game celebration. They were, they, yeah, they were pretty out of control. Out of control. Um, then, but my then, point is, you you got out of your seat. You were able to move after that game four Celtics when Bird missed the three that everybody thought was going in, which I wrote about in my basketball book. Yeah. Um, you couldn't get up for like probably seven minutes. You sat you know, in your seat. I, I remember I couldn't get up, and I also remember it was another example where you and I had this terrific line from our seat right to the basket, and Bird yeah, was, was shooting right, right. toward right in front of us toward that basket. And I would have bet my salary that year that that basket was going in. How about you? It was yeah. online. It would have bet everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was awful. That one, I think our three worst losses that we watched together were that game, the uh, the the Super Bowl Glendale game, and the Too Many Men in the Ice Bruins game against Too the Too Many Canadians. Men in the Ice, I was just going to say that one. 1979. Hey, I guess you have to throw in the 1978 Yankees-Red Sox playoff game, too. Yeah, just, I guess Just because I cried after both of those games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so going to that's admit. my four. Maybe that's my big four. You're allowed to cry because you were young. I'm not going to admit that I cried or didn't cry. Yeah, I <laughs> felt like crying after the Super Bowl. But we have we were crying except we were we were running to get out of there so quickly. Um, yeah, we haven't won a Super Bowl in in ten years, which seems impossible with Brady and Belichick, considering they've been in the mix every single year. I'm, I'm not actually sure. Talk- I'm okay. not sure if talking about the Super Bowl when we're still in the regular season is a very good idea. I've I've couched it thirty times. I've uh, repeatedly said we need to win four more games. Okay, good. that's good because. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm worried about Pittsburgh. I, there's, I think there's, there's so many uh, variables in terms of who's even going to make the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I looked at that because uh, that's that Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cincinnati division. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy because some of their last games are against each other. You also have Denver playing Cincinnati this weekend. Uh, there's some crazy things happening where who knows which two teams are going to get in there. Like we'd beat Cincinnati and we'd be able to throw on Baltimore all day. I would feel confident in those two games. Pittsburgh scares me. Mike, this guy on Bleacher Report named Mike Tanier had a great article this week about why Pittsburgh is kind of like the the one team that could upset the apple cart in the in the AFC, and one of the things he said was the the thing that Pittsburgh is terrible at is giving up deep passes. You can throw deep on them all day. Well, what is our Achilles heel as an offense? Yeah, we. I mean, we we do throw deep. We don't. We just never you, complete. We them. don't connect, but we do throw deep. <laughs> we throw deep and and never is complete ever. Well, unless unless uh, it's Gronkowski going down the seam, and right. that, and that does seem to be open. But we've had I, I can think of at least ten or eleven passes, some of them involving Tim's that were a foot too long or a foot too short. Yeah, it's Tim's. It's Reggie Slater. It's we, Chad Jackson. Well, it's Gronkowski. the guys. That, the guy never catches it. Yeah, yeah. But you know that could change. I like your optimism. You only send me a text every week about how Brady hasn't completed a deep pass since I was in college. Well, yeah. He almost had, yeah. 
He missed two. He almost almost has one. He missed two in Miami. And then uh, he hit Edelman on like a 30-yarder. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm worried. I'm a little concerned about What kind of pass rush does Pittsburgh have? No, it's it's more of a just them outscoring us. Yeah, because the the one thing that has been hurting the teams that seem to give us a little more trouble and upset Brady's accuracy seem to be the really good pass rushing teams when he doesn't have that maybe extra split half second to get the ball off. Right. Well, they'll blitz. He's done really well against Pittsburgh over the years, but uh, they'll certainly blitz him. And they, they have multiple receivers who can make big plays and they have a great running back. They probably have the best running back in the league. They also have a quarterback that, uh, you know, has won big games and has played right. well against us. Yeah, he, so. he, he's had some good games, but we've also we've also had good games against him. Yeah, um, oh. I don't know. I, you know, if, if you gave me a choice, the the team that I'd rather not play is Baltimore because I I do watching them. They have a great pass rush. Their front seven is very good. I know that they're. Secondary is questionable to say the least, but their, yeah, it's front, awful. their front seven, I think, would give our offensive line a, a, a tough time. My thinking is Baltimore is like a house, like smoke and mares, and they're they lucked out. They're in this stretch right now where they're not playing anybody who can throw the ball, but their secondary is just god awful. And anytime they play somebody who can throw the ball now, that the they they get lit up. Pittsburgh was the last example. Doesn't so, Baltimore? They have two games left, obviously. But I think aren't they against rather easy teams? I think one of them this week's against Houston, who doesn't yeah. even have a quarterback yet. Yeah, and then the next right. week's against I think, Cleveland, fourth quarterback possibly. Right. Yeah. And then Cleveland next week, Manzella was a dis- was a disaster in yeah. this game. So, so you have to um, think that uh, Baltimore has the inside track to one of those to at least a wild card slot, right? Yeah, the two big games, the games that are going to swing the playoff race this week are KC and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's home against KC. So that's almost a loser leaves town match. And then uh and then Cincinnati at Denver on Monday night because if Cincinnati loses that game, then I think they have to beat Pittsburgh in week 17 in Pittsburgh. Right. If I remember correctly. So you know, the the obviously up here in, in Boston having home field advantage is just is viewed as very critical so that we yeah. don't have to go to Denver. Right. I, I wish uh, Buffalo wasn't still in this thing. I know. I'm scared I, of Buffalo. I Buffalo's don't like, got a great I, defense. I don't like playing them in our last game of the season. Me where neither. everything could be on the line for Buffalo. Buffalo played Green Bay great. And they and I thought they did a good job against Denver. I, that was just a weird game. Orton I thought played they did a good there. job, yeah. Orton played badly, and they got hosed on some calls. It's a solid team. They're eight and six, and they could easily be nine and five. And I saw that there were other running backs. Spillner is uh, Spillner or Spiller, yeah. Spiller is back, and uh, he always gives us trouble. So, and I think they have a rel- don't they have a relatively easy game this weekend. Yeah, yeah. They play at Oakland, so they could. Um, they'll probably be nine to, nine and six, and with that Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cincinnati stuff going on. I mean, Baltimore, uh, Buffalo could be right in there. So you, you like that Brady is dropping F-bombs and pumping his fist again in the sidelines. Well, yes and no. I, I, 
I, I really wish that he had slid. I, I know it. I know it. After the fact, when he didn't get hurt, it was it was great, and everybody's all pumped up. And the the after game interview that they had in Boston on the Boston Channel, he was all excited. But I don't know about you. I had visions of the Bledsoe injury. I mean, it was, it was the it was, same. It was very same similar. Hit. Yeah. Uh, I don't want. I, I want Brady sliding. I, I don't want him taking on a cornerback. I don't care who the cornerback is coming at him full speed. Right. Heading for his shoulder. I didn't like it either. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um. The uh, you want to talk Celtics really quick? About what? Would you trade Rondo? Would you drive him to the airport if they traded him? <laughs> What's the offer? <laughs> Are you at the point where you trade him for anything? No, not for anything. Okay. But but I think he's having a very – I actually thought he had a better last 30 games of the year last year when he came back yeah. than his inconsistencies this year. I mean, his, his – I don't know. You probably look at his box, box scores, but I mean, he's scoring like two or three points a game. Uh He's he's terrified to go to the free free throw line, yep. which totally changes his game because it means he won't drive into the lane where he was so effective two years ago. And if he doesn't drive into the lane because he's afraid of getting fouled, what what is he settling for? These fall away jump shots. It's it's painful to watch when you're at the game. But I don't know. Also- we should mention you have season tickets, so you go yes, to some of these so games. I do get to see. I mean, I, I mean, you do see a difference in him. He's, and I, and I realized that two, three years ago, he was playing with, um, you know, players. Pierce and Garnett and Ray Allen, and going into the lane, he had a lot of options. But he, he doesn't. He's not driving. I mean, if you saw him three or four games in a row, you'd. You wouldn't think he's the same ball player. And you didn't even mention what's happened to him defensively. I, well, I never was a. I never felt he was strong defensively. I thought he was greatly helped by Garnett guarding the middle, of the, the uh, paint, and and now some of the deficiencies. You know, he, he doesn't want to take the charge, and he, you know, think over the years how many charges he would take. Uh, he just doesn't want to get hurt. Which I can fully appreciate. He's had some bad injuries, but right, uh, and he's in a contract year. But he's just not the same player. Hence, he's not as valuable to us. But it also means he's probably not as valuable to somebody else. So I don't know what you get for him. He's he's now a defensive liability, which I don't think he was in the past. He sucks on defense now. He just sucks. He he's just not good. Guys go by him all the time, and he gives up big big drives and big plays and big moments. He's a step weight. That's that's been my biggest disappointment. I I don't I just don't think he's that committed anymore. Well, um, yeah, I don't I don't think his defense has, has changed, except for not taking the charges and. Uh, but it it's, seems the, the, commi- the commitment is different. I mean, he's he's not playing on a winning team, hence. Right. It's human nature. Your effort's not going to be quite the same. That effort could change drastically if he was traded to a contender. Um, and that's obviously something the contender has to consider. Will, will we get a different player if we trade for Ronda? Yeah, but see, I think that's stupid on his part because 
he's in a good situation to put up stats in the way this team is built. Um, they just want him to drive into the lane and dish out to shooters and they're playing with like a pace that's really good for him. They made a, made a big deal about the whole pace and space thing. And, right. Um, it just seems like if, if he was just great for three and a half months, he'd, he'd be able to pick what team was coming after him. There's some good teams that need point guards, you know, Dallas could use one and Houston could use one. And the Knicks could make a panic trade. Like there's options for him, but the I'm way not, he's yeah. playing, they're not going to trade him. Well, somebody could make a panic trade. Um, the, I mean, the Knicks would have been the candidate, but they're they're so lousy that they'd they'd be idiots to make a trade. Yeah, well, well, now you're starting to talk about the Knicks, for example. What what do they have that we would even want? Unless you're well, cle- clearing out cap space for the future, we'd get an expiring, and we'd flip the Clippers' unprotected pick for their unprotected pick. Would be yeah. my dream Knicks trade, but they would be they'd be dumb to do that. They're going to have a top five pick now, right? Um. And, you know, we'll see if they have the patience to tank. But um, I think Jeff Green has more value than Rondo does. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, he's under contract for a couple more years, and it's a good contract. I think this year, next year, uh, only $9 million, which the way salaries skyrocketed is a much better contract. Um, it's a much more palatable price tag than it was three years ago. Right. And he's also plays a position that is really valuable right now. It's He can be... A small forward or a power forward, depending on if you go big or small. He can shoot threes. He can guard a couple positions. No, I, um, I agree with you, and I'm surprised. And maybe they have gotten numerous offers, but they're just holding out for the best offer they can possibly receive. I, I think he has a lot of trade value. Now, I have to say, I, I really wouldn't be all that sorry to see him go because he's killing he, he drives me crazy. He's, yeah. he's such a trick-or-treat guy. The, you know, I I think on a really good team he'd be a better he'd be a better addition. On our team, where there is this view up here that he's the best player, yeah. hence he should have the best nights night in and night out, and it's not happening. Uh, there's a lot of fan frustration. Maybe it's unfair. I mean, he's not. Yeah, I, he's a fourth banana. He yeah, should be the fourth best guy on a great team. Yeah. But on our team, that's not how the fans view him because they'll they'll go to the game and they'll see him score 33 points effortlessly. He 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 has games where it looks very easy for him, and then the next and then you'll go two nights later, and you'll walk out of the uh, the the arena and you'll say, "Did Jeff Green play tonight?" I mean, right. it's just weird. I don't remember many players like him. He's also one of those guys where they run the play for him in the last 10 seconds and he'll get a good shot, but he'll miss it. Yeah. It's a small sample size, but I never think he's going to make it. And there's just countless examples of, oh, great. Oh, he missed it. That you is know. kind of funny because he is the guy they usually run the play for. Yeah, it and never I, goes in. I can't remember. It, it almost goes in, by the way. It almost, it's, always, it's really it almost close. goes in. Some, it, sometimes it rolls around the rim like twice. The best Jeff Green moment of the season for for this co- topic was against Atlanta. I think we're down one, and they run a play for him, or maybe we're down two. They run a play for him to get a three, and it was a good play. And he's about to shoot the three, and Al Horford jumps up and jumps into him. And instead of just jumping in Al Horford and getting the three free throws, Jeff Green spun the other way to try to not get fouled 
and then dribbled to the foul line and missed a 15 footer. It was like everything you need to know about Jeff Green as a go-to guy. Like any good scorer just goes into Al Horford and gets the three free throws. And he just, just that one little tiny IQ for score IQ point that's missing from his brain. But you know, on a, on a, on a better team where he's maybe the third or fourth option, uh, he probably gets the offensive rebound and slams it home and wins the game because he, he's, it's not expected that he has to win the game. Or he's in the corner about hitting the wide open three. Yeah. That's what he should be. You, you know, I, I was watching OKC the other night. Perfect for them. They could really use Jeff Green. And that's a team that, that is in the mix, I think. I think they're in the mix, and I think Toronto is. And I also think Houston could use him. Houston. Uh, the Clippers uh, yeah. have nothing to trade, but they'd take them in a millisecond. Yeah. I think Cleveland, he'd have a really big impact on. The other guy that you and I have talked, not recently, but I, I really think a, a hidden asset that maybe you don't notice unless you go and see the games frequently is, is Bass. He, I really don't understand why a contender hasn't come after him. You know, I agree. His, his, 13, 14 foot jump shot is like a layup for him. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's kind of funny. I think it was last year you and I talked about Houston and why wasn't Maury making a move to try to add Bass? And I guess he's just not that enamored with him. But I, I, I've seen a lot of him. I really like the kid. I think he I could help too. somebody. He, he will make that 16 footer with a minute to go. And he yes. will come off the bench and play 15 to 16 really solid minutes. And he'll play very hard minutes. Well, so, now that now that we've successfully sold all the Celtics trade well, assets. We, tra- we just made three trades. Yeah. I don't know who we got back. I had the three <laughs> trades. Here are the three trades. The Marcus Thornton and Brandon Bass expiring to the Golden State for David Lee. I'd do that right now. David Lee's contract expires next year. It might have oh. helped if Marcus Thornton wasn't out for seven weeks, but yeah. I don't care. He's an expiring. Yeah. By the way, that, here's how the Celtics season has gone. When Marcus Thornton goes out for seven weeks, the reaction is, oh, crap, he's probably our best go-to guy. He really is. I feel the best when they're running plays for Marcus Thornton in the last three minutes. So no wonder we're about to win 30 games. Right. Um, but Golden State has to trade David Lee because they have to pay Draymond Green this summer, and Draymond Green has turned into a legitimate trade asset. I'm sorry, a legitimate asset and is probably worth in this climate 12 to 13 million a year. Mm. And they're way over the tax anyway. And they have to trade David Lee for expiring contracts. Um, and they've proven they can win without him. You, so. you know, I, you know, I've always liked David Lee. I know. That's why I threw that out. So you do By that. The way, he's a lefty. Did you know that? Uh, you love lefties. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little Cowens esque. Um, and then the other one I would do is Avery Bradley and Dion waiters and an expiring, I think makes a lot of sense for both teams. I think if you put Avery Bradley on Cleveland, he really helps them. And we both like Avery Bradley. I don't think that's ever happening for a different reason. This, this uh, Stevens and this team is all about chemistry guys. Yeah. Uh, then, you don't like Dan Waiters as a chemistry guy? They're never going to bring him in here, no. He's not what they're looking for. Uh, I, don't know. I, I went to the Cleveland game. I watched him pouting on the bench when he wasn't playing. I, I don't <laughs> want him fan. on my bench. <laughs> yeah. All right, so maybe scrap that one. Yeah, scrap that one. Uh, well, he'd be our best go-to guy, I can tell you that much. All right, so you're in on the David Lee trade. I went one for two. 
Yeah, I like. Uh, I am in on, on that trade. I, I wish the guy could play more than thirty games a year. That would be helpful. But um, the other one I would do is Jeff Green to OKC for Perkins and their number one pick, and we just wave Perkins. I wouldn't wave Perkins. Oh, you've always liked Perkins. You're still mad like we traded him that year. Yeah, I, I think, and uh, my wife would be very happy. She she's still very sad about the fact that Perkins left us. Right. Actually, I'd love to see Al Jefferson and Perkins come back. Can we get an Al Jefferson trade? Oh, that would be interesting. Too late? He's available. You think? Yeah. Everyone on Charlotte's available. Wait, before we go, um, can you defend the uh, the Handler Ramirez signing to uh, America in, <laughs> in 30 seconds? Because you were able to do this to me over Thanksgiving, and you made me feel a lot better about it. Well... Throughout the time that he's been gone from the Red Sox, apparently the one player who's kept in consistent contact with him is David Ortiz. And David Ortiz recently gave an interview where he said he considers Hanley like his younger brother. And Hanley gave an interview where he said that the biggest baseball influence on him has always been David Ortiz. I like having the two of them together, sitting next to each other on the bench, having lockers next to each other. Yeah. Uh, I, I think David Ortiz has two, maybe three years, and that's it. And if anybody will be a positive influence on Hanley Ramirez, it's going to be David Ortiz. And I like that. I, I think at this point in his career, uh, we we could see a different Hanley. We could see the old Hanley Ramirez. Okay, so yeah. when he injures his ankle, sliding to second base, and, I think David's going to say to him, "You know, you need to get out there and just shake right. it off." And and it's what we do as Red Sox, right? You know, we don't win every year, but remember, we won this championship a year ago, and we want to win it again. And I have a lot of. Uh, trust that you're going to be out there playing tomorrow. Okay, David. And you that's got it, what's David. Happen. You got it, Poppy. <laughs> Hanley, you're representing the city of Boston now. And Get up from, it, stop limping it, around. You're be a man. If this, if this doesn't happen, I really don't want you to bring it up to me. <laughs> I thought you said Dustin Pedroia was his best friend in the minors, too. Uh, yes, Dustin, that was the other part, that they came up together. Yeah. You know, they, they always viewed that they'd be for 15 years, the double play combination for the Red Sox. So you have those two major pieces and, and he's coming home. Uh, you know, he, he's he from was the a, Dominican Republic. No, <laughs> his second home. Okay. He never really played for us. Well, he always wanted to. All right. His home <laughs> in his head. And you're excited for the Panda. I'm really excited for the Panda. Uh, he goes the other way like Fred Lynn did once upon a time. You know, how many times did we talk about the huge mistake Fred Lynn made yeah. leaving that ballpark when you have an inside-out swing? And that's what the Panda has. Uh, I, I th and, the, uh, you know, I, he seems like a really good addition, chemistry-wise, too. Yeah, and he's clutch. I like clutch. And he's All that clutch. The advanced metrics guys, for the most part, don't think clutch matters, but I've personally witnessed him in multiple World Series um, every time I thought he was going to get a hit, so I yeah. think that matters. I mean, 
I think we're going to be winning a lot of eight to seven games. Yeah, do you want to bitch about the Lester signing with the Cubs for 20 uh, seconds? I don't want to join the bandwagon, but... but is, oh, it's a bandwagon? What is bandwagon about it? They lowballed the guy who left. Well, I'm just saying the bandwagon, meaning that everybody up here is bitching about it, yeah. saying the the Sox blew it. You know, they... they uh, they gave him that low ball offer. Uh, they never got back on track. It's no wonder he's not here. And now what are they going to do? And it's it's everybody's really wondering, are they going to do anything more? You know, are they going to throw the money out of Shields? Are they going to make a trade? Yeah. Uh, they, You know, we're like most teams. I think over the years we overvalue our uh, AAA assets. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it, it does appear they have a couple of great-looking young pitchers coming up and a good-looking young catcher coming up, and they love this Mookie Betts. But, you, you know, if you're going to go after a Hamels or somebody like that, you have to throw something in a deal. If they trade Mookie Betts, I'm, I'm not watching a game this season. Yeah, I mean, that'd that, just that's, be that's stupid. the problem. Um, yeah, they can't trade him. That'd right. be dumb. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've always liked James Shields, uh, me but too. apparently other teams like him too. I guess I, I know everybody back home has covered the Lester thing ad nauseum. The, the only thing I have to add to it is I don't even, normally with sports, you're like, oh, well, at least I kind of understand why they did that. Or at least I get the strategy there. I, I just don't understand the thinking from for the past 14 months with Lester. It's just, I can't even come up with an adequate explanation for it. Like the four year, 70 million offer was just so out of whack and so insulting that if I were him, I would have just crossed them off right there. Like, really? That's your offer. Okay. Well, in, a, in, a, way, in a way, it seems like perhaps he did. He did. I think, when he, they, I think he did. When his agents wouldn't negotiate, um, I apparently wouldn't negotiate during the season. So by doing that, once the season's over, I, you know, I think he also was bothered by the by being traded. Uh, there, there were some quotes that he made that led you to believe once he wasn't here, I mean, that whole home team discount thing, yeah. I mean, that goes out the window once you trade him to, a, to another team like Oakland. So... That was just weird. I mean, it, it's almost like, like uh, before you get married to somebody, you you decide to take a break, and you let them. You know, you're like, let's date a couple other people for a little bit, and, which you can do. It's risky, but it's even riskier when that person then moves three thousand miles away, and is just completely removed from from the relationship. And at that point. It's, I think it's naive to think that they're going to come back. I deep down, I part of me thought, oh, they cut a deal with this guy. They're going to get Suspedis out of this, then he'll come back, and it'll be, and we won't have to give up a first round pick, and it'll be awesome. Um, maybe but obviously we, they didn't. maybe we, under, well, not maybe. Obviously, we, everybody totally underestimated uh, the impact of that low ball deal on what happened over the next year. Mm. And you compound that with, and then we traded the guy in the end of July and expected he would be real excited about coming back for a hometown, hometown disc, discount. Yeah. You know, that was, that was naive, as you said. 
Yeah. But it's left us. It's sad. Uh, that, I mean, that was the homegrown pitcher. Everybody liked him, respected him, saw him beat cancer. He was part of the 2013, you know, Boston Strong team. And it's just sad that it worked out the way it did. Yeah. Dad, it was great talking to you. It was great uh, talking to you. I hope I, you're not. I hope that you're being treated well by your employer. Thank you. I okay. appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.